We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Your character, Paul, is really interesting in a lot of ways. First off, he's a Trump guy. (laughs) Was that your choice or was that something that Spike uh, put onto the character? That eminently was not my choice. That was Spike's choice. That was Spike's um, conceit. Spike and perhaps Evan Wilmot, his co-writer, was a stumbling block. Initially, for me, I did not want to do it. I tried to talk Spike out of it. Um, I, I, I asked Spike if he could be, if Paul could be an arch conservative without specifically being a Trumpite. And Spike thought about it for a few days and reached out to me and said, no, he needed Paul to be a uh, Trumpite. Um, I then read the script uh, two additional times and I was able to rationalize in my head in my process how and why and once I did that that liberated me Toure to appreciate and acknowledge the various other aspects of who Paul is Spike Lee's new Netflix movie to five bloods takes you into Vietnam as four black vets try to recover some really important things from the country It's one of Spike Lee's best films, and one of its stars is the incomparable Delroy Lindo. I spoke with Delroy all about the making of the film, and we got deep into it. We had an incredible conversation. You'll get half of it here, and for the other half, hit up patreon.com slash Show. Over there, you can get Patreon exclusives like me and Malcolm Gladwell, Little Yachty, more, and the other half of me and Delroy Lindo. For now, let's get into it right here. It's Delroy Lindo on Torre Show. Um, so the, the movie's fantastic. I watched it twice. It's really gripping and powerful. Um, it's a departure for Spike in a lot of ways. I mean, just you've done four Spike movies. It feels different. It looks different than a lot of Spike movies. Um, but, but before you even dig into that, the history of Vietnam movies, this is a big thing in American cinema for the last, what, 40 years of filmmakers talking about Vietnam in different ways. Before you even come to the picture, what is your opinion of the ways that American cinema has tried to deal with Vietnam before Spike even comes into the story? Um, 
I would say that there has been a marginalization of black soldiers and their contribution to the Vietnam War. Now we're speaking specifically about Vietnam, correct? Yeah, yeah. All right. So there has been somewhat of a, no, not somewhat, there has been a marginalization uh, or an expurgation altogether. So as I, I, I hope I'm accurate, I do not recall seeing a Vietnam story in cinema that focused on the experience of the black soldier. Certainly there have been black soldiers. Uh, I'm thinking of Platoon. Uh, I'm thinking um, <laughs> of Platoon. I'm not sure if there's another one. Um, <laughs> My answer to your question is that it felt immediately like a breath of fresh air. It felt immediately like oxygen in as much as it was clear that this story is clearly being told through the lens of the black soldiers and their experience. And that is immediately different than anything that has preceded it. I mean, I think the thing about Vietnam, the films that, depict World War II and World War I, the American soldier is a hero straight up and down. When you get to Vietnam, the story is messier. Americans are willing to see Vietnam as messier, which makes the films perhaps more complicated. Well, I think that uh, Vietnam, the whole, the whole phenomenon of the Vietnam conflict is a messy piece of American history. It is, it, it is intrinsically messy, messier. It's a quote-unquote stain on the culture, I, in my, in my totally. opinion. Um, and it is a stain on the culture and on the psyche of the culture because um, that was a war that was not won. So, so the fact that it is as much of a of a psychic stain and that stain i think constitutes on some level unfinished business and what i mean by unfinished business is that um perhaps perhaps the country has still has yet to come to terms with what that conflict constituted in terms of American history, in terms of American culture. And certainly the culture has yet to come to terms with how Vietnam vets were treated, are treated. So it feels just broadly speaking, like unfinished business, uncompleted, an uncompleted chapter. Does that make sense? Absolutely. One of the things that leaps out yeah. from the first moments of this film is the camaraderie of the four of you and the way that you are able to interact as as brothers. And we love seeing, I mean, so many people pointed out that that initial dance scene as just so powerful. And talk about 
how the four of you came together as a unit, as actors, to make it feel like we have known and loved each other for 50 years. One of the most invaluable aspects of this experience for me, I, I think the other actors also, but certainly for me, was the bond that we created. Um, it was a completely organic process uh, when we would, the bond that we created off screen, the bond that was organically being created at breakfast, at lunch on the weekends, uh, um, at the hotel. We all stayed in the same hotel in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It was totally organic. It was totally organic, the connection. And it happened immediately um, amongst the four of us. And as the bond was unfolding, evolving, the chemistry, the bond, um, that then immediately transferred, was transmitted onto or into the work that we were doing in front of the camera. What's interesting about that bond is that none of us spoke about creating a bond. It happened entirely organically, Toure. Um, just the depth and breadth of the kinds of conversations that we would have, politically, culturally, um, gender-based, as men, as black men, as actors, as compadres, all of it. Um, we had some of the most, I had, I participated in some of the most um, entertaining, intellectually and culturally stimulating conversations I've ever had with a group of colleagues and men. That became intrinsic to our relationship, our bond, and intrinsic to the chemistry that you as audiences are witnessing in this, in this work. I need to officially say their names because I just did a whole interview with, with Spike and, and BAFTA and we, we did not say their names. So who we are, we're speaking about Clark Peters, Jonathan Majors, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., Norm Lewis, and then uh, later on, Chadwick Boseman came um, to become a part of the of that of that um, group. And Chadwick, when Chadwick showed up, Chadwick came to the film probably five weeks or so after we had been filming, uh, but stepped right in. So I just want to officially say their name because. Um, because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, your character, Paul, is really interesting in a lot of ways. First off, he's a Trump guy. <laughs> was that your choice or was that something that Spike uh, put onto the character? That eminently was not my choice. That was Spike's choice. That was Spike's um, conceit, Spike, and perhaps... Evan Wilmot, his co-writer. And what I've heard, I didn't know this at the time, but Spike felt it was uh, important for the, for the narrative to have that conflict amongst the men, that I'd be uh, uh, 
cast my vote for that individual. Um, it was a stumbling block initially for me. I did not want to do it. I tried to talk Spike out of it. Um, I, I, I asked Spike if he could be, if Paul could be an arch conservative without specifically being a Trumpite. And Spike thought about it for a few days and reached out to me and said, no, he needed Paul to be uh, a Trumpite. Um, I then read the script uh, two additional times, and I was able to rationalize in my head, in my process, how and why. And once I did that, that liberated me, Ture, to appreciate and acknowledge, not appreciate the various other aspects of who Paul is. And creatively, I very quickly came to an understanding. And my wife read the script also, and she said, no, you've got to do the part of Paul. Um, and I agreed um, because I recognize in Paul this really large Wilsonian Shakespearean tragic component to this man. He's a big, tragic character. And creatively, that was like manna from heaven to me as an actor. Um, and simply, I was not going to pass it up. I called Spike and said, I'm in. I want to play Paul. One of the other big things about Paul that really strikes is that he has PTSD. He's still deeply affected by the war and his experiences there. And it, it, more than anybody else, he still carries the pain of the war. There's so much unfinished business for this man. You know, if it were a if it were a diagram. If one were to do a diagram of Paul, there'd be all these tentacles hanging from him that are not tied up. Um, I have never, when I say I, I, I'm speaking as Paul, I, mean, I have not, I myself have not suffered that kind of a loss, thank God. But here's the process. But I've never uh, come to terms with the loss of my wife. And in actuality, the existence of my son exacerbates that problem for me. Because my wife died in childbirth. Mm. So there is that. There is the fact that coming back to the world after my third tour of Vietnam, I was reviled. Then just from a biographical point of view, I then created additional betrayals. So betrayals and the losses constitute all of this unfinished business, unresolved issues. Oh, there's another thing. There's another thing. I refuse to go to therapy. Right. All of this um, pathology is running rampant throughout my organism. It's just running amok. And that connects directly to my need to come back to Vietnam and put some of these 
uh, unfinished components of my life to rest. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. If you love Toray's show and you miss the days of me talking about politics on MSNBC, and really, who doesn't, then check out my other podcast, Democracy-ish, where I sit with Danielle Moody-Mills and argue and strategize about the 2020 race from a black and progressive perspective. This is an insane system. We need this? Why no, do we need we this? Don't, we, don't, we don't need it. You can find Democracy-ish wherever podcasts are streamed. All right, back to Toray's show. Can you just talk about how you go about building a character when you get a script you read it multiple times and how do you go from there to showing up on set ready to go how do you how do you build a character one of the very very first thing I did 
was that I called uh, two cousins of mine who are both Vietnam vets, both of whom have suffered endlessly with PTSD. So this is my family. So because we were a family, they came, I was working on the East Coast. They came to my place on the East Coast and they just spent um, an afternoon and an evening uh, sharing and sharing and sharing uh, their experiences in Vietnam um, and specifically their experiences with PTSD. One of my cousins has suffered and continues to suffer with PTSD, the um, effects of PTSD, much more than my other cousin. But both of them basically gave me an education with regard to their experiences in Nam and their experiences with PTSD. I was furiously making notes. I was recording them. Um, and I will say that the audio quality when I was recording them is much better than the audio quality in the Zoom conversation. Um, that was a joke. It's why I don't do comedy. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> 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 why I don't worry, man. It just, it just, it lands like a brick. Boom. Um, so, um, so I was recording them and I was making notes and I was watching them. I was watching, I was observing how body language would change when they were, um, sharing with me different aspects of their experiences. Um, my cousin, one of my cousins then gave me a box, like a shoe box full of photographs, um, which he said I could have from my time working on the film. So I, I, I poured over those photographs and I took those photographs to uh, Thailand with me. I had them with me for the whole time that I was there. Um, I then was introduced to additional vets who all spoke with me, not so much about PTSD uh, because I didn't know them. They didn't know me as well, but they did speak with me about their experiences in Nam. Lastly, and this was probably five or six additional vets speaking with me about their experiences in Nam. Then, um, lastly, a friend of mine introduced me to a retired major, uh, an African-American woman who had retired as a major from, uh, she had been in the Iraq war. And she spoke with me at length about her negotiations <clears throat> with PTSD. They became, so all of those um, interactions became the foundation for me as I was beginning to build the character. I went back and reread a book called Bloods, a book by Wallace Terry came out in the 70s, verbatim accounts of um, uh, the experiences of African-American vets. These are verbatim accounts, and he published, published them in this book, Bloods. I reread, I'd read Bloods when it first came out. I went back and reread it. I looked at documentary film, uh, Ken Burns' uh, documentary, uh, a documentary called The Anderson Platoon, which is which focused on a platoon in Vietnam, um, uh, uh, documentary. And this platoon was led by an African-American platoon leader, which was a rarity in Vietnam. It's called the Anderson Platoon. I looked at that. Um, I looked at additional books. So essentially, I, am, I was immersing myself, Tori, in Vietnam culture, in Vietnam um, films, books, 
um, accounts in order that I try to give myself the best opportunity that I could and form the best, the most um, solid foundation for myself as I was entering this work. When I got to Thailand, Spike gave everybody another copy of Bloods. So now I had three cop, uh, two copies. Um, he had a couple of vets come in to, uh, to the rehearsal room when we were rehearsing and speak with us. Um, one of the gentlemen still lives in Vietnam. He flew to Thailand and spoke with us. So all of these things essentially constituted uh, my, um, the foundation that I was building for myself. Once you have that, then the job is to play the truth of whatever scene that you're doing. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, um, you've worked with Spike four times. What's it like working with him? What's he saying to you in between takes? What's he saying that's helping you get to you know where you need to go? If it's going well, he's not saying anything. He just says, go again. If it's going well, there's nothing to be said unless you know he wants to give you another crack at it or he feels he needs another crack at the scene. Um, because of the way that he works, which is extremely, he's extremely well-prepared. Um, he's extremely, um, I, I was going to use the term methodical, but methodical sounds kind of stolid. He's not methodical in a stolid way. He's, he, he knows exactly what he wants and he knows how he's going to go about getting what he wants. And if you as the co-worker, as the creative worker are on that train with him, you have a sense of his um, uh, work ethic, then there's a simpatico that happens inside of that dynamic. So um, if it's going well, he won't say anything. He'll say, let's go again. Um, if he needs a, a, an adjustment, he will say, you know, let's try X. We had, and this is another component connected to the preparation for the work. We had probably a week-ish of rehearsal time where we would go to the hotel and we would sit in a room and we would deconstruct certain aspects of the script. I liken it to a theater act is called table work. The first part of um, working in, in, on a play is you do table work, which is that all the actors and managers and the director, you sit around a table, literally, reading the script and deconstructing aspects of the script. So we had done the table work and we also had gone out a couple of days and rehearsed some scenes in the field. Um, so there was, there was a, a solid preparation. You know, one does not always get that in film it's 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 kind of sort of infrequent um i'm not saying it's non-existent but it's rare to get that kind of prep even if it's just a week just the fact that you can for a week have the latitude to deconstruct a given scene talk with your colleagues talk with the director you know what does this moment mean i'd like just just having that communication is all all contributes to um a solid foundational 
point of departure for the work. And that was the case with The Five Bloods. Your your fourth film with Spike, this one feels different and it looks different than a normal Spike Lee film. Um, do, do you notice that? I know there's a new cinematographer, so maybe that explains some of it. But like, do you notice that? I noticed it in when I saw the film. I was not aware of it while we were. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low-sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it, and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member... I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamine a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from tenderfoot TV campside media and iHeart podcasts radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Filming, but I, I certainly noticed it um, when I watched the film. I've watched them three times now. Uh, wait, one, two. Yeah, three times. Um, and certainly I'm aware of it. Just the, just the physical, um, how the film is physically presented on the screen. Um, so, yes, I, I, I am aware of it as an audience i was not aware of it as uh, when we were making the work um the combat scenes are very realistic and they feel they feel right on you know and sometimes it's just a lot of people shooting at each other but this seems precise and there's a reason why we're in this moment um what would did did they feel right? What do you think is different about these combat scenes versus some other movies? Oh, great question, great question, great question. Because I neglected to say that I completely neglected to say that uh, during the rehearsal process, that week, eight, nine days, I don't remember how long it was, when we went to the field, uh, when we went to the environments where we would be filming. Uh, I believe the gentleman's name is Harry Humphreys. Harry is a Vietnam vet, and he walked us through um, the choreography. What the car? It, and it literally was choreography. It was moves that were set up. This is how this scene will be shot. This is how this scene will be filmed. He then also uh, we also learned uh, certain formations and why we. Why we would be in those those formations? So we had rehearsal for some of those battle scenes 
had all of the battle scenes. We had rehearsal. Um, so we were, we had a real, when it came time to film those scenes, we had a pre-created relationship to the work. We had a pre-created relationship to what we had to do, the marks we had to hit, both literally and figuratively, and I would also say emotionally and psychologically. We knew what we had to do. And I think because these all, uh, my colleagues, Clark, Isaiah, uh, Norm, all from the, excuse me, all from the theater, um, we had, uh, what's the word? We had inhabited the space that we had to inhabit and it had inhabited us in such a way that we could then do the work in the scene. And that perhaps is the reason for the, what you're calling, you know, what you're calling a certain kind of authenticity, a certain realness to those battle scenes. And I have to tell you something, Tori. Um, there was a scene that we did um, and it was a scene that involves um, uh, Norm Chadwick running to, we're on the fire. It's when the, it's when the chopper crashes and we, we scramble out of the chopper and Norm runs to a rock and I follow him to that rock and the other guys go to another part of the, of the, of the field and we're taking incoming and we're returning fire. Um, when we filmed that whole scene, we filmed it in segments. So we did, you know, a master, but then we did the segment that involved um, Norm and I, Norm and myself, Chadwick and myself, we did our part. And then I got to watch uh, Clark and Isaiah and Norm do their section of the scene when they run from the rocks where they're hiding to the chopper. Now, some of the time we're uh, using doubles. I mean, I, we all did as many of our stunts as we could. But I watched these guys return fire and then take off running through the bush. And it almost, it almost brought tears to my eyes to watch these actors, but these men, the, the uh, Otis and Eddie, uh, it, it almost brought tears to my eyes because in the best sense of the term, it was so heroic. In the best sense of the term, it was heroic. And for me to observe these cats doing this, it did indeed felt real enough for me that it moved me emotionally. And I said this to them when, when, we, when we rapped. It was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. So I guess I'm saying all of that to say that our preparation uh, caused us to be that much more in the moment when we were filming those battle scenes. Thanks so much to Delroy for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, and Graville Calais. Join us over at patreon.com slash Show to get the rest of this conversation from me 
and Delroy, and an extra episode every Friday only for Patreon subscribers. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Sean Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.